Our scripture reading, uh, of which I will address in my sermons from Matthew's Gospel, uh, it is chapter 18, starting in verse 21, reading to the end of the chapter, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. It is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debts. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him up to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. During the Korean War uh, in 1948, a band of communists uh, controlled a town called Sun Chun near the 38th parallel. And while they were there, they executed two boys named Matthew and John, among others. They were the two older sons of brother and pastor Sun. And just before their death, Matthew and John pleaded with their communist persecutors to place their faith in Christ. And then they were killed. After the war, when the communists had been driven out, Pastor Sun's uh, village, uh, a young man in the village, Kai Sun, uh, was identified as one of the executioners of Pastor Sun, those who killed Matthew and John, his two sons. He was charged with murder, and he was sentenced to die for killing the pastor's son. When Pastor Sun heard of these proceedings in court, that brought us uh, the, uh, the, uh, the verdict of his execution, he requested that Kai's son's charges be dismissed, that he be released into his custody so that he could adopt him as his own son. Matthew and John's 13-year-old sister, Rachel, uh, testified in support of her father's incredible request, and they honored that request. The charges were dropped, 
He was released to Kai's son. Kai's son was released to, to Pastor Son. And he was adopted by Pastor Son and became a believer in Christ Jesus. So what was Pastor Son's reflections in all this? Here's what he said. He said, I thank God that he has given me the love to seek to convert and to adopt my son, the enemy who killed my boys. Now, that's an extreme example of forgiveness. And not many of you, I dare say none of us, will ever be into it, put in a situation where we have to decide between vengeance and forgiveness like Pastor Son had to do. But daily, I would say probably daily, we face opportunity to forgive a number of people for the sins done against us. And if not daily, at least more than once during the week, don't you think? We all have opportunity to forgive. It doesn't have to be a severe test for it to be a test to forgive. So the parable that I read, we're going to look at today, uh, is meant to lead us off the path of revenge onto the path of forgiveness that we would be to others what Jesus is to us. So we're going to look at uh, renewing the parable story. So we're going to review that story and then learning the parable's lessons. Review the story learn the lesson. So let's review the story real quickly. First of all, we have the incident of the merciful master uh, with uh, his servant who owes him an incredible debt. This master in this case is actually a king, uh, and he's reviewing the accounts of all his servants of what they owed him, probably brought in one by one to settle their debt. So this one individual is brought in, and he has a debt totaling 10,000 talents. Now, just one talent is worth 6,000 denarii. Multiply those two together. He had the small debt of 60 million denarii that he owed his master. I'd call that a debt. But since the servant couldn't pay, uh, the master dropped what he was going to do because in Jesus' day, it was totally acceptable for someone who couldn't pay their debt to you that you could take them and sell them on the slave market to pay as much as you could recoup from the debt they owed. So that's what was going to be done with him. So when he ordered this, the servant fell at his feet and he pleaded with him, no, no, don't do that. So the master took pity on him, we read in the story, and he forgave the debt and released him. But then we have the unmerciful servant. We have the unmerciful servant in verses 28 through 35. The servant had a huge debt forgiven him by his master, and he had a fellow servant who owed him money. He owed him 100 denarii. So when this servant demanded him to pay up, he responded in exactly the same way the forgiven servant had with the, the king. He said, have patience with me, and I will pay you. This was not a happy encounter. It says actually he choked him when he found out that he owed him money and he was there. He kind of choked the guy. It's a little bit humorous to kind of picture in your mind that, that encounter. So the, servant wouldn't, uh, the forgiven servant would not release the debt of this person who owed him money and was thrown into prison to pay his debt. He acted in exactly the opposite way that the king acted toward him with his own debt. 
So when these two friends got wind of this, uh, when their fellow servants heard about what had happened, they told the king what the forgiven servant had done with his friend who owed him money. And the king called him back in. And he took back the debt that he had forgiven and put him in prison until he should pay his debt, which in all practical purposes is a life sentence. He owed him 60 million denarii. Is he going to pay that while he's in prison? Uh, no. It's a life sentence. He can't pay it. He's in prison for life. So, that being said, what are the lessons we have from this parable? Well, the parable was told by Christ because of a question Peter asked, right? So, Peter asked him, uh, how many times must he forgive sins? As many as seven times, Peter asked Jesus. Now, it's very likely that Peter was asking this question uh, because he wanted Jesus to notice how spiritual he was. Because just previously, uh, Jesus asked Peter who he was. And Peter's answer to Christ is, you were the Christ, the Son of the living God. So now Peter, with this question about how many times do I forgive, was going for commendation number two. Can I uh, forgive as much as seven times? Is that enough? So what's the significance of the seven times? Well, the significance is, is that the rabbis taught that you need to forgive someone three times. So that probably being in Peter's mind, he's saying, okay, rabbis taught me I need to forgive three times. So I'm going to double that, and I'm going to forgive six times, and I'm going to add another one, seven times. So Peter's thinking, boy, that's pretty good, you know? Seven times, double plus one with the rabbis taught. So that's what Peter was trying to do. So when Jesus answers Peter's question, Peter wasn't praised, but he was blown away. He was blown away. Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So when Jesus says that, he's not trying to set on a fixed number. He's essentially saying there is no limit to how much you forgive and how often. There's no limit. There's not a ceiling. That's what he's saying to Peter. It blew Peter away. So the king in this parable represents God, and the king's servants represent us, right, his children. So it's meant to illustrate that the servant's ability to forgive others is based on their ability to comprehend how much they've been forgiven. Our inability to forgive means in some way we are unable or we are failing to grasp how great your sin was that God forgave. There is a misunderstanding. There is a misappropriation of the grace given us. John MacArthur says, Never are we more like God than when we forgive. Never are we less like God than when we will not forgive. That's a powerful statement. So let's look, first of all then, how God's forgiveness transforms our relationship with God. So the first part of this parable with the servant who owed all this money to his master, which we read, this debt of 10,000 talents, uh, means he had this phenomenal debt. Let me just kind of bring it down to terms today. 
10,000, again, is not a set amount. It's the highest number in the Greco-Roman world was 10,000. There wasn't a number higher than 10,000. So we're talking about the highest number. We get our English word myriad from this. The number 10,000 is where we get the word myriad from in our own language. So as I've already stated, one talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. Remember I told you that? So since a servant owed 10,000 talents, he owed 60 million denarii to his king, to his master. So one denarius in Jesus' time was the daily wage of a common laborer uh, in Palestine. It was the daily wage of a common laborer. So if they work 300 days a year, that's 300 denarii a year. So 60 million denarii totaled, uh, divided by 300 denarii equals 200,000 years to pay a $60 million debt. I know you probably got lost in the math I gave you, but just remember the bottom line. 2,000 years to pay the $60 million denarii he owed. Yeah, good luck with that. You thought your college debt was big? So translating that into today's numbers, if we translate that into today's numbers, you would have a debt, if you were like this servant, of $5.2 billion. <laughs> yeah. $5.2 billion in today's terms is what he owed. That is equal. That is equal to the national debt of Senegal. So this debt was huge. So is Jesus telling a real story? No, he's telling a parable. And he's using these absurd exaggerations to make a spiritual point. It's an absurd story to make a point that our spiritual debt is immeasurable. It's gargantuan. It can't be measured. And that debt, God forgave through Christ. That's the point. It sounds a lot like we read in Colossians 2. Listen to this. It, it reads, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the spiritual debt of one outside of Christ is gargantuan. It is immeasurable. It's like a, like a $5.2 billion debt that you can never, ever, 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 ever pay unless someone pays it for you. Jesus has paid it. It was nailed to the cross for you, to forgive you. That's what God has done. It transforms our relationship with him. So from that verse in Colossians, we can see a definition of forgiveness, which is this. Forgiveness is mercifully canceling the debt of another due to their sin against you. It is mercifully canceling the debt of another because of their sin against you. It transforms our relationship with God. But it also transforms our relationship with others. So in the second story, the forgiven servant talking to his friend who owed him this debt, 
It was significantly less than the debt that he owed the king. He owed the debt of 100 denarii, which translated to our day's terms about $8,700 he owed him. Now, that's not peanuts. That's still a fair amount of money. But compared to $5.2 billion, I mean, is there a comparison? There's no comparison. So he owed him this $8,700 debt. And when he saw him and choked him, pay up! He said, no, I will not let you go. I'm going to throw you in prison for the debt you owe me. So what was promised him by the king, which the king did not do because the king forgave him, he did to his fellow servant. He threw him in prison. So he, forgiven an unbelievable debt, couldn't forgive his fellow servant's debt, who owed him a meager amount of money compared to the two debts. Now, the story here is not trying to make the point that forgiveness is easy. Forgiveness is always difficult. It doesn't mean in this story that we should not feel pain or grief when we've been sinned against, because some of the sin that we experience in life is significant. It's not trying to belittle that. It's not saying that in extreme cases where we've been sinned against that we should never seek legal ramifications or penalties for the person who has sinned against us. It doesn't mean we have to do that. But it does need, there needs to be in our heart an understanding of the sin against us compared our sin against God, and the comparisons don't even come close to one another. That I should be moved to extend to my brother or sister the forgiveness that has been extended to me. And when I do that, it is so little compared to what he's done for me. That's the point. So Jesus closes. You see, notice how he closes. He says that we are to forgive each other from our heart. We're to forgive from our heart. So what does that mean? Let me give you three words in this passage that I think this means. It means, first of all, that patience characterizes forgiving from your heart. Look at verses 26 and 29. Look in 26 where it says, Have patience with me. This is a servant who owed $5.2 billion. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And then the servant who owed him money said the very same thing. He says in verse 29 that he asked for patience as well. Both parties asked for patience. This kind of forgiveness, forgiveness with all your heart, is patient. In contrast to anger and resentment and revenge, I am patient. I will not insist on paying what you owe. I am patient. I will not live in anger and let it usurp God's call to me to forgive. I am patient. Another thing that characterizes forgiveness that comes from your heart is the word pity. Look at verse 27. It says, And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. So the master, out of the abundance of his heart, took pity on him. This word pity literally means to yearn with your bowels. It means to yearn deep within your soul, that there is a pity in your heart for the person who owes you. You have pity on him. You pity them. We see the same word used to describe Jesus in Matthew 9, 36, which says this, As he looked at the vast crowds, he was deeply moved with pity for them, 
for they were as bewildered and miserable as a flock of sheep with no shepherd. So this is the crowd that rejected the Messiah. Is that what he saw? These are the people that reject me? No, he saw them as pitiable and poor and naked. That's what he saw. And he had pity on them. So we are called, if we're going to forgive with all our heart, we need to have pity on the people who have wronged us. And then the last term we read here is the whole thing of mercy. Mercy characterizes the forgiveness that comes from the heart. The verse 33 talks about that. Look at 33. It says, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? The king said to the servant he forgave. So what is mercy? Mercy is withholding the consequences that you deserve because of what you've done. Mercy is withholding the consequences that you deserve because of what you've done. That's mercy. If we're going to forgive with all our heart, we need to have hearts of mercy. I'm going to withhold the consequences. I will not insist it upon them. C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian means to forgive the unexcusable. I'll say that again. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We give to others what God in his patience and pity and mercy has given us. We respond with forgiveness. What C.S. Lewis sounds, uh, said sounds a lot like what we read in Ephesians 4, which says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It rings a little bit like what Peter actually said, and maybe when Peter wrote this, maybe when he wrote this, He's remembering the parable of the unforgiving servant when he asked Jesus about forgiving seven times. Peter says, Above all, hold unfailing your love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sin. A forgiving heart doesn't expose sin, it forgives sin, and it covers it. That's what forgiveness is. God's forgiveness transforms our relationship with God and our relationship with others. I think part of our reluctance to forgive sometimes is because of our misunderstanding of the purpose of forgiveness. Because sometimes we think that the purpose of forgiveness is for the person that I'm forgiving, which is partly true, but is it, it is as much for your benefit who does the forgiving as it is for the person you forgive. Let me tell you a story that illustrates that. I think I've told the story before at City Church, but the reminder, if you heard this before, will be good for you. It always is good for me to hear the story. This story comes from the book, The Tale of Despero. Who's read The Tale of Despero? It's a great book. Won tons of awards when it came out uh, quite a while ago now. Uh, it, uh, the word Despero roughly means despair. And it's about a little mouse who lived in a castle uh, he was born, it says in the story, with his eyes wide open, the littlest mouse ever born, <laughs> with what it says is obscenely large ears. 
Now, he was taught, as all the little mice were taught, that you never mingle with humans. Don't mingle with humans. There are dire consequences if you do. Well, uh, he lived in this castle uh, where uh, there was uh, much music in that castle, which Despero was really drawn to. So every night, uh, King Philip uh, played his guitar and sang to his daughter, Princess P, as she uh, fell asleep. And Despero would hear this. And uh, he says, quote, oh, it sounds like heaven. It smells like honey. Uh, he loved to hear that being done in the castle. He would listen, and he would creep closer and closer and closer to Princess P. And then finally, he was face-to-face -face with her, and we read this. Despero stared up at her in wonder. The P, he decided, looked just like the picture of the fair maiden in the book of the library. The princess smiled at Despero again, and this time Despero smiled back. And then something incredibly happened. The mouse fell in love. Now, reader, you may ask this question. In fact, you must ask this question. Is it ridiculous for a very small, sickly, big-eared mouse to fall in love with a beautiful human princess named P? The answer is, oh, yes, of course. It's ridiculous. Love is ridiculous. <laughs> so what happens is that the other mice discover that Despero has mingled with Princess P. So because he has done that, he is summoned to appear before the 13-member mouse council. And so he goes to the council, and the council decided to have him banished to the castle dungeon where all the rats lived. So as a sign of his condemnation, they tied a red a thread uh, around, his, uh, around his head, around his neck, actually, and his own father, his own father, Lester, who never uh, came to his son's defense during his trial, by the way, was the drummer who drummed Despero out, his own son, to the dungeon to be with the rats. Probably a sense of sure death. But Despero survives being in the dungeon. So he shows up one day, back upstairs, away from the dungeon, and he's covered with flour. You need to read the story to find out how he got covered with flour. I won't tell you that story. Then let me tell you the exchange that happens when he reappears with the mice and the encounter with his father. I'm going to read a word here that I had to look up because I didn't know what it meant when I read it. It's the word perfidy. And it means the violation of a promise or a vow. The violation of a promise or a vow. So let me read this encounter when he comes up from the dungeon covered in flour. The head mouse gathered himself. He tried speaking again. Fellow members, he said, a ghost, a ghost. And he raised a shaking paw and pointed at Despero. The other mice turned and looked. And there was Despero tilling, covered in flour, looking back at them, the telltale red thread still around his neck like a thin trail of blood. Despero said Lester, son, you've come back. Despero looked at his father and saw an old mouse whose fur was shot through with gray. How could that be? Despero had been gone only a few days, but his father seemed to have aged many years in his absence. Son, ghost of my son, said Lester. 
his whiskers trembling. I dream about you every night. I dream about beating the drum that sent you to your death. I, I was wrong. I did what was wrong. No, called the most very honored head mouse. No. I've destroyed it, said Lester. I've destroyed the drum. Will you forgive me? He clasped his front paws together and looked at his son. No, shouted the head mouse again. No, do not ask the ghost to forgive you, Lester. You did as you should. You did what was best for the mouse community. Lester ignored the head mouse. Son, he said, please. Despero looked at his father as his gray streaked fur and trembling whiskers and his front paws clasped together in front of his heart, and he felt suddenly as if his own heart would break in two. His father looked so small, so sad. Forgive me, said Lester again. Forgiveness, reader, is, I think, something very much like hope and love, a powerful, wonderful thing. And a ridiculous thing, too. Isn't it ridiculous, after all, to think that a son could forgive his father for beating the drum that sent him to his death? Isn't it ridiculous to think that a mouse could ever forgive anyone for such perfidy? But still, here are the words of Despero Tilling spoke to his father. He said, I forgive you, Pa. But still, he said those words because he sensed that it was the only way to save his own heart. To stop from breaking in two, Despero Reader spoke those words to save himself. Dear friends, if there are those we will not forgive, you are enslaved to them and it will destroy you. We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we have been forgiven our sin, those whose faith is in Christ, because Christ on the cross had our sins nailed there with him that we might know the forgiveness of God. Oh, what a gift. That's amazing grace. I pray that you would grow us in our knowledge and understanding of that grace. You would get down into the soul of our hearts that we might respond to our brothers and sisters with love and forgiveness not revenge and hatred and anger. Lord, change us, transform us, grow us in the knowledge of this gospel. Would it forever make us to be a people who are like him who forgave us. In Jesus' name, amen.